Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. So, hello, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, Alyssa. How are you? Pretty good as well. We're recording early-ish in the morning, so I've got about half a cup of coffee in my system, which is pretty good. I'm already looking forward to my next cup. I think I'm a little over-caffeinated right now, so Uh hopefully that doesn't make me talk too fast or... But it should make it fun. Yes, it'll be great. And you'll be having so much energy, which is exactly what we need. Exactly. Want to keep people interested. Yeah, for sure. Well, today, as we mentioned last episode, we're going to talk about sender reputation. And if you're listening today and you don't know what deliverability is, I would suggest going back and listening to episode one, where we talk about what email deliverability is, why email marketing is so important, and why deliverability is just crucial to your business. Sender reputation. Sender reputation is the most important factor when it comes to deliverability today. And the domain you're using to send email is what holds that reputation. There are other parts of the email that hold some reputation too, but the most heavily weighted one in today's email industry is the sending domain. And I feel like when you go online and you go into Google and you type in what's important for your sender reputation, a lot of stuff comes up and there's kind of like a little bit of a debate going on mostly with obviously within the deliverability world. But if you listen to like deliverability experts out there, every single one says most recently your sender reputation is the most important thing. It's crazy because email changes very often. So a lot of people learned about deliverability maybe 10 years ago when they very first got started in email marketing. And then they just never kept learning, which is understandable. But 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, the number one thing to get you in the inbox wasn't really sender reputation. It was more about IP reputation, maybe more about content, which we'll talk about in another episode. But today, with the way email has changed, really domain reputation is what most mailbox providers are looking at the most heavily. There are, of course, other factors, but domain reputation is going to be the number one thing that can help get you to the inbox. So one thing that I just started kind of thinking about, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before, does each mailbox provider have a different way of looking at that reputation or across the board, is it generally the same? Yeah, great question. And this is one that a lot of people just are confused about typically, but each mailbox provider like Gmail, Microsoft, Yahoo, anyone you can think of who's accepting email for your recipients, they all have different ways to calculate sender reputation. So your sender reputation is kind of like a credit score, except there's nowhere for you to find an exact number, an exact reputation, and it isn't universally used by everyone in the same way. So you might have a really, really great reputation at Gmail, and they might send all of your messages to the inbox And you might also have not a great reputation at Microsoft, and you might struggle to get to the inbox there. So it's important to make sure that you have a good sender reputation at each of the mailbox providers 
unfortunately, you can't just try to have a good reputation across the board. You want to make sure that each individual mailbox provider is seeing you as a good sender. So we talk about having a good reputation or a bad reputation, but ultimately there's different ways to kind of figure out because you're never going to get a report from Gmail that says, hey, here are some things you need to change because they're trying to keep all that information pretty secure. They don't want people to abuse they have set up in order to protect us as email subscribers. So you're not going to get a report saying, hey, you're not doing a good job. So what are some ways that we can, our listeners can test or understand kind of where they stand with different providers? Yeah, that's a really great point. And actually, to your last point about Gmail, they do have a really awesome like Google Postmaster tools feature that some senders use, some senders don't. On the ConvertKit side, we look at it as a whole for all of our customers. And it will tell you how they look at your domain reputation, which is helpful, but they don't necessarily tell you how to fix it. And they're one of the only mailbox providers that provide that sort of data. Most don't. And you're going to be totally in the dark when it comes to knowing where do I stand with this mailbox provider. So one way to know if you're having a deliverability problem at a specific mailbox provider is to see if there's been an open rate drop over time at a specific one. So you could do that by just looking to see, okay, for a specific domain or a specific mailbox provider, what's my open rate trend looking like over time? Is it pretty stable or does it drop? And if it's dropping and you're still doing everything the same, like you're content looks about the same as usual, your frequency is pretty similar, there's a good chance that they are starting to send more of your messages to the spam folder. But of course, there are a lot of other possibilities too. So it's something to start investigating. And also, of course, if you're getting reports from subscribers at a specific mailbox provider that your messages have been going to their spam folder, that's a good indicator that you might have some reputation issues there. And one thing we always recommend is to do some testing. So don't be afraid to run some tests on your own, try and figure out what's going on. So you can open up for a lot of mailbox providers, you can open up free email accounts like Gmail and Hotmail and a lot of others, Yahoo. You can send some tests to your test addresses and see where they go. It's not always 100% accurate because filters are very specific to individual subscribers, but it should give you an idea of what those mailbox providers are doing for your new subscribers who just join your list and don't have any previous history with you. Right. Sometimes every once in a while, we'll have someone reach out and say, hey, I just noticed that one of my emails went to my spam folder. What's going on? And they've only sent one or two emails from their own domain to their own address. And that's not always the best way to test stuff because it's not a good representation. Like you mentioned, it could be it could be like a Yahoo-specific domain reputation issue. So if you're using a Gmail, if you have your domain and then you're sending to just yourself one email into Gmail, it just probably won't be a very good representation of what's actually going on. And it's always a good reminder that sometimes an email can end up in spam and it doesn't always mean you're doing something wrong. 
Right. So with any good experiment, you know, you want to have a good amount of data. So that is one thing. Don't freak out if you just send one email and it goes straight to spam because that's just one data point. So it's hard to tell exactly what's happening, but instead try and look at the bigger picture. So if you have a bunch of Gmail subscribers, you can look and see, okay, well, my Gmail open rate is about 40%. This one email went to spam. You're probably not seeing a ton of spam filtering at Gmail because that's a pretty good open rate. However, if you're seeing a 5% open rate at Gmail and also a test email of yours went to spam, that's a good sign that you're seeing a lot of spam filtering. So um, I would say try and look at the full picture, but sending yourself a test email is just a good way to get another data point and see what could be going on. And something else I've kind of noticed and thought about before too, if you're not sending consistently and you start running tests That might not always be the best way either to kind of figure out where you're at as far as like your reputation goes, because there's people that have maybe like a colder list and they are either new to ConvertKit or maybe they're trying to test in two different ESPs. And that can also cause some competition because you're sending on two different IPs. And the moral of the story is if you're going to be testing, make sure that you're doing it in a way that's reflecting your normal actions. Because if you're testing, 100 people, but you normally send to 5,000 people, like there might be potentially some issues there if you only send, let's say, once every four months, and then all of a sudden you start ramping up your testing, that's not really going to give you the best results to kind of figure out where you're going to land. Yes, this is such a good and important point when it comes to sender reputation, which is very dynamic, and it changes based on how your sending changes. So If mailbox providers see the same consistent volume and frequency from you, and they see that people are engaging with your emails really well, they might give you a really good reputation, and it's pretty stable. As long as they don't see any major changes from you or the way that your subscribers are engaging with you, that sender reputation probably isn't going to be really reevaluated. So the people who get the messages in the inbox are going to keep getting them in the inbox. And those who might get them in the spam folder, maybe it's a very small amount of subscribers, they might still go to the spam folder and you just see consistent open rates and consistent inbox placement. But the second you change anything, even if your content still looks great, maybe people are still engaging with your messages really well. But if you suddenly send to a lot more people at once or you change the IP addresses you're sending with, which would happen if you change ESPs, there's so many different things you can change. The mailbox providers then have to recalculate your sender reputation because you're no longer the person they're used to. They're like, whoa, something here is different. Something's different. Yeah. And I don't trust that because that it could be a sign that there's something bad going on. You could be now sending spam. Someone could be spoofing your domain, which means someone's sending from your domain pretending to be you. So just to keep subscribers safe, anytime mailbox providers see a change in the profile they've created for you on their end, they're going to recalculate your sender reputation, which means you might see changes in your open rates. They might start to send more messages to spam and see what your subscribers do from there. They might start to send more messages to the inbox than they actually normally do, which happens sometimes. And then there's a spike in spam complaints because a bunch of people are seeing your message that haven't seen it in a really long time and they've forgotten they signed up. It's a whole thing. So there's a lot of different possibilities that can happen there. But moral of the story is 
Your reputation is constantly changing and we highly recommend keeping things consistent, as consistent as possible so that you can have a really stable reputation. And when we talk about engagement, I think that's kind of a word that we like throw around sometimes and it's not, we don't always define it for people. But engagement means a lot of things. I mean, it can be opens, it can be clicks, it can be responses. And I try to encourage customers trying to up their engagement with their subscribers. I always suggest, you know, ask your subscribers a question, ask them something that is important to them that they'll want to respond to, like not just a generic question that people see often and kind of brush aside, but ask them something that gets them to interact with you. Because the more those mailbox providers see that happening, the better your reputation will get. And I think it's so easy to forget there's a person on the other side of that email address and to look at everything as sort of just transactional and opens and clicks. But it's important to remember that you want to engage with your audience and you want to be able to have some conversations with them. And the more that happens, the better your reputation will get because those mailbox providers can see that people really do appreciate the content you're sending out. They can see that it's meaningful to your subscribers. And the more often that they see that, the more those are going to be placed in the subscriber's inbox. Because at the end of the day, mailbox providers don't care that much about the people sending messages. They care about their subscribers, the recipients, because those are their customers. They want more people to use them as a mailbox provider. And in order to do that, they need to be good at filtering. So no one wants to sign up for a new email address and find a ton of spam in their inbox or the other way around and find a bunch of messages they really want in their spam folder. So It's the mailbox provider's goal to be really, really good at knowing their subscribers and showing them the emails they really want, but also not showing them emails that they don't want. And the only way for mailbox providers to do that is for them to look and see how is this person engaging with messages from this sender. It's easy to sort of like use because there is so much involved in the email sending process. So I feel like it's Mm -hmm. definitely like, I could even see myself doing this. Like it's easy to assume that the control belongs with the ESP you're sending from and the email box provider that you're sending to. But I think what we really want to explain to people, get people excited about is that a lot of it, and not to be like a burden on you as the sender, but it's exciting because you actually do have a lot of control over your sender reputation. So we want to encourage people to get kind of excited about that and not let that feel overwhelming because at the end of the day, like you said, you want people to, you know, let's just say someone, like I get an email into my spam folder and I really want to see that. Sometimes we suggest to our customers to have that subscriber whitelist the sending email. Mm -hmm. And that's not like meant to be an extra step for anybody in the middle. It's meant to help build your reputation and it's meant to help you connect more easily with your subscribers. So sometimes we'll like throw out ideas like that, like, hey, why don't we have you whitelist the the sender email or why don't you ask a question to your subscribers? And it's not meant to be you know extra work for customers, but it's meant to help you connect more easily with your subscribers so that you're getting that information to them and potentially getting a return on the content you're sending out. Yeah, you're essentially just helping your subscribers know how to tell their mailbox providers that they like your mail and that they want it because that's at the end of the day what you really want to do. So 
there are ways that your subscribers can act that will tell mailbox providers, I like this mail, please send it to my inbox. And there's also ways your subscribers can act that have the opposite effect. And it tells mailbox providers, I don't want this mail. I think it's spam. And your subscribers might not even know that this is happening or that they have this much power, but they do. (laughs) And so the positive actions they can take are opening your emails, clicking in your emails. One great one you pointed out, Melissa, is replying to your emails. A lot of people don't realize it, but that's a really positive action. And oftentimes, if you've replied to someone's email, emails that they send you will go to the inbox from that point on. So there are really creative ways to ask for replies. Like you said, just asking a question. And also, you can build that relationship with your subscribers. Some other positive actions, like you mentioned, whitelisting the sending address is great. Anything that shows I like this email, I'm engaging with it. But some things that don't help are things like the biggest bad one is marking the message as spam. So we consider that a spam complaint. You can see that within your ConvertKit account. If you go to your subscribers page and click the tab to say complained subscribers, you can see people who have marked your message as spam. One thing to note is that Gmail doesn't let anyone know who marks messages as spam. So you won't see any Gmail subscribers there, even if they did mark the message as spam. But marking a message as spam is the biggest negative indicator that someone does not want to receive your messages. So you want to do what you can to minimize those. Unsubscribes are negative a little bit, but they're not nearly as negative as a spam complaint. Well, and sometimes those people come back, you know. Right. They'll unsubscribe for a little while and then maybe they decide, you know, I actually do miss this content and then they'll come back. Yeah. And it's always possible. I know I do this all the time as a recipient. I might like someone's emails for a while and I did sign up for them. They're not unsolicited and they provided me value at some point, but then I just want to clean up my inbox and I ask myself, like, do I really need these emails? Probably not and unsubscribe. But it's definitely a much different feeling than when I mark a message as spam, which I would do if someone is emailing me that for an email I never signed up to receive or the content is really spammy. So that's kind of the difference between an unsubscribe and a spam complaint is just that one, the unsubscribe isn't nearly as negative as the other. But another negative action that a lot of people don't realize is so negative is if your subscribers just don't open your messages. Yes. So (laughs) that's why... This one is so big. Yes, it is. And I know it's... I don't know. It's just funny that we harp on it so much. But I think a lot of people just don't realize the effect that it has to have subscribers sitting in your email list Mm -hmm. for months and months, and they've never opened an email from you, or at least haven't recently, because mailbox providers really do look at this. So if you send an email to a Gmail subscriber, Gmail is going to look through their database and see how many unengaged subscribers you email regularly. A lot of people have hypothesized that Gmail's cutoff where they start sending emails to spam is after 180 days. So if you have a bunch of people on your list who have not been opening for 180 days, there's a good chance Gmail's going to think you're sending spam. So it's really important that you're cleaning out your list of unengaged subscribers Because if you don't, every time you email those people who haven't been opening, it's another negative ding to your reputation. And it just goes down and down and down. And then you're going to start to see more messages go to spam, even messages that 
were to people who are typically engaged. And this is kind of the path I think a lot of people go down where they start to see deliverability problems and it seems sudden. It seems out of nowhere. They're like, oh my goodness, my open rates are dropping. What's happening? And it's usually that they've never cleaned up their list. So this is a big one. It is. And it's kind of like it doesn't feel right sometimes, I think, for a lot of people. Let's say you worked really hard to get 4,000 subscribers and that was your goal. And it's totally understandable that cleaning out your list and deleting people, that just feels wrong. You know, it doesn't feel like you've worked so hard to get there. It doesn't feel normal. But I try to always remind people anytime I can that having a smaller engaged list is so much more beneficial to you than having a really large list with half of them not opening your emails. Because not only does it ding your reputation, in ConvertKit's case, you're paying for those subscribers that are not bringing anything for you. They're not engaging. They're not buying a product, whatever the case may be. And then, yeah, you're not getting a return on investment with those people. So there's really not any point in holding on to them as much as it feels sort of contradictory to what you have done to get those people. It's not benefiting you in in any way. And ultimately, we hear so often about the people who have smaller lists who have made more money because they have relationships with those subscribers than the people who have large lists and can't even keep up with any kind of personalization or relationship. And I totally get what you're saying. It can be almost emotional. I know I've been there with customers and it's hard to say goodbye to subscribers that, like you said, you've worked really hard to get on your list, even if they aren't opening. So you can get creative too. At the end of the day, if someone is just not opening, it's good to let them go. But if you're just not convinced yet and you want to take some other paths, you can always send them an email and ask them to reply to the email if you have the you know bandwidth to actually read their replies and tell you, what do you want to hear from me? Noticed you're not opening my emails. And some people might find that creepy. So that's up to you if you say that. But you might say, it's been a while since we've connected. It's been a while since I've heard from you, something like that. And ask, what are you interested in hearing from me? Like, why did you sign up to my list? I want to be sure I'm providing you value. At the end of the day, if you're sending emails to your list, your goal should be to provide value to your subscribers. You don't want to just bombarding them with information that they don't want, that that's not useful to them. So make sure you're asking them, what is helpful to you? What can I provide? And maybe you'll get some really good answers back. And maybe you can send those subscribers personalized content based on what they need from you that maybe they're not getting right now. And another option, if you're just not convinced that cleaning your list is the right next step, I would say try excluding those subscribers for at least two weeks and just see what happens. See how your open rates improve. See how your conversions either stay the same or probably increase. I definitely wouldn't expect them to go down because you're not emailing people who haven't been engaging. So I would encourage you to at least do that. And then if you are still convinced you need to email those cold subscribers, do it in a different way. So I wouldn't send them an email every time you email your list. I would email them less often than your full list and do it in smaller batches if you really are not willing to clean up your list. I kind of think of it as like an analogy a little bit where you're fishing and you don't have the right bait and you're just sitting out there like waiting for something to come along. Everything with email marketing is targeted and specific and or it should be that way because ultimately if you're blasting emails out to people who don't really care and hoping one of them will finally see it, 
you're only going to hurt the people who really do want to receive your emails. And that's not what anybody wants. And as we're talking, I'm thinking of a bunch of other reasons why you do need to clean your list, like spam traps, which we have a future episode on if you're like, what is a spam trap? Or if maybe you know what a spam trap is and you are frustrated by them. We'll clear up what they are and how they affect you. But one really good way to make sure your list is clean of spam traps is by ultimately removing people who are just not opening because they might not actually be real subscribers. So there's a lot of really good reasons why you should clean up your list and keep your reputation protected. So I feel like a question we get pretty often is people who have gone down the road of maybe not cleaning their list or they've done something along the way that's hurt their sender reputation and they want to know where to go from here. Is that right? Yeah, I was just about to say, all right, let's talk about the harder (laughs) part of this, which is probably like we've talked about all the things that you should be doing and that's all fine and great. But what do you do when you've maybe, I mean, and it could even be super unintentional, like maybe something came up in your life and you stopped emailing people and then you started again and now your list is cold and you're trying to kind of get back into the swing of things. How do you start recovering that reputation that maybe you either don't have and maybe you're just getting started or maybe you had one and now it's maybe not great anymore? Yes, such a good question and something we help people with a lot pretty often. So there are about five steps I would recommend to get your sender reputation back in a good place. One thing to note is that this can take time. I know it's frustrating, but it just can because you're trying to get back in the good graces of these algorithms and machines that are determining where you belong. So you're going to have to show them a lot of positive signals over time in order for them to realize that you've changed your ways in some capacity and that they can trust your email. It's the credit score thing. I mean, really, that's like the best way to think about (laughs) it because it's the same when you don't pay your credit card bill and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what happened? Then you're going to have to work 10 times harder to get that score up because you just showed them. Unfortunately, that's just how it works. You've showed them that you're a little bit unreliable and it's the same thing with email marketing. Like we can't always wave a magic wand and fix something. It's definitely going to take persistence and consistency. Yes. And I would say that's one of the biggest misconceptions email senders have, unfortunately, is just if they've had any sort of deliverability issue, they typically will reach out to their ESP and just say, fix it. They think it's probably technical and something that can just be fixed immediately. And that's just not the way deliverability works anymore. There are still, of course, those types of cases where it is something technical like authentication, also another (laughs) episode to come. Where it's like, okay, yes, you just need to change this record here and all your messages will go to the inbox now. A lot of times that's not the case. So you are going to have to spend some time investing in your deliverability and trying to get things repaired. So the first step I would recommend is just to kind of audit your list. Make sure that everyone has opted in to receive your emails. That's so important. Permission is going to be the most important thing when it comes to your list. And if you're collecting subscribers just through maybe like online forms, that's not as much of an issue. But if you had a business partner who purchased a list or they took all of their LinkedIn connections and added them to your list, that is a no. (laughs) Uh, I would make sure to 
take those off. Everyone on your list needs to have directly signed up to be there and said, I want to receive your email marketing. Otherwise, they're just not going to provide much value. Right. And we see this sometimes with different sort of fields in email marketing, like different niches. And it's not like a bad thing necessarily, but like one thing or like one area that I've seen this kind of happen in is like if you do a lot of giveaways. I mean, that's just, it's obvious to me that, I mean, I I can't say that I've never signed up for some kind of a giveaway before. And I didn't always want to follow that person or that business after I signed up. It's like, oh, I didn't win, you know? And it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong if you are doing giveaways. It's just something to keep in mind that maybe you'll have to audit your list a little bit more often just because you're in that certain niche of email marketing. That is such a good example, a prime example. So you want everyone who's on your list to have said like, I love this brand, content, whatever it may be, and I want to receive your email marketing. The giveaway situation, people just (laughs) typically want to win whatever is being given away. And at the end of it, they end up on someone's email list that they didn't even know existed, but they that person was part of the giveaway. And they're likely going to either mark the message as spam, unsubscribe, or just never open them. And they'll start going to the spam folder. So that's just really not good for deliverability. So I'd make sure that you figure out all of the different sources you've used to collect the subscribers on your list and be sure that they actually signed up to be there and that they want to be there. Well, that's kind of a good lead into our second step, which is cleaning your list. And if you know that you are generally in a niche that has people who maybe do sign up wanting certain content for a short amount of time, it's even more important that you do clean your list. You'll want to remove unengaged subscribers or suppress them for two to four weeks. And again, try not to be too emotionally attached to that number because ultimately it's just going to hurt your sender reputation and it's not worth hoping that they'll bite for the carrot if you send them the exact right content. Like if they're not opening your emails, chances are they probably won't. And that's just kind of an unfortunate fact and hard truth. If we're looking at this from a proactive perspective, I know right now we're talking about after the fact, but if you are in the proactive boat and maybe you're not in huge deliverability trouble yet, you can always just keep an eye on your cold subscribers. We would consider that to be anyone who hasn't opened in 90 days. And like we said earlier, target them differently. Maybe offer them something special. Maybe reach out to them and make it seem really personal and ask what they want to hear from you. You can do some other techniques to try and get them to become active again. We certainly aren't saying don't even try it. (laughs) Well, that or go after them with everything you have and say, open my emails because (laughs) that probably wouldn't be good either. True. It needs to be authentic and it needs to provide value. But once people hit that 90 day mark, it's great to try and get them to become engaged. And some probably will if that strategy goes well, and some just won't, and that's okay. So for the people who don't end up becoming engaged after you've really tried to re-engage them, it's time to clean them off your list. Um, And like we said, it's best to just remove them because they could have some bot signups, B-O-T, like a robot, or there could be some spam traps in there, all of which we will talk about. So we would recommend just removing them altogether. If you're not willing to do that, at least suppress them for two to four weeks and then change your strategy. And when you initially do sort of, I mean, we call it a subscriber re-engagement campaign, 
You would be surprised, generally speaking, how many people do click that, I want to stay on your list. So don't be scared to do that. It definitely is beneficial. And you'll get a decent amount of people who normally say maybe they don't open your emails every single time, but they still want access. And so you'll be able to find those people. And even then, like, same thing, you can kind of figure out, okay, maybe this person, maybe they open every fifth email and that's still like not awesome, but you can kind of put them in a different category and maybe you only email them twice a month instead of five times a month. Personalization is perfect for deliverability. And like we mentioned earlier, step three of repairing your sender reputation is to stay consistent. So be sure you're not taking any large gaps off of emailing your subscribers and also that you don't start suddenly emailing them more. Try and keep things really consistent on a schedule if you can. So maybe you email every Monday and Friday and you send to the same list every time. Whatever it is you decide to do, just be sure there's no big spikes and no big changes because anything like that will cause your reputation to need to be kind of reevaluated. And if your list isn't in a great spot yet, then it might immediately go to a negative place. So it's always good to just stay consistent. Again, these are machines and not people deciding your reputation. And so any kind of anomalies they see is going to be a red flag. So step number four would be provide value. And we'll have another episode talking a little bit more about content and how that kind of affects things. But just generally speaking, you want to make sure that you're providing people with the content that they want to see. And we talk about this a lot in email marketing, but if you're unsure about that, there are so many ways that you can go about trying to figure out whether it's directly through email and using different kinds of links to figure out how to personalize people's content, or it can be anything just asking a general question and seeing what kind of responses you get. So just make sure that you're sending people valuable information that they actually look for in their inbox. Because not every single time when I go open my email is the one email I want to see the first email at the top. Sometimes I have to go and scroll through a little bit. And you want people to be able to look at that first page in their inbox and say, oh, there's so-and-so's email. I've been looking for that. And if you don't make that easy for people, and if you don't make the content valuable, it's going to be very difficult to get people kind of trained to do that when they're looking for your email. Right. And if you're wondering, how do I provide value? One thing I find helpful is ask yourself, what are people always asking me? Like, what's the piece of information I hold that people want and need? One person I'm thinking of in my head right now is an email list I recently signed up for, which might sound silly, but I found it so helpful. And it's like a cleaning blogger. And she gives you a calendar of like what to clean each day. So maybe Monday is the bathroom and Tuesday are all the floors and things like that. But especially in this, you know, crazy time, we're all at home. I have wanted to stay on top of cleaning to make sure it keeps me in a good mental space. So I love her emails. And I think she does a really good job of thinking about that value. So she might send an email and the subject line is how to have your kitchen clean at all times or like the best way to clean your oven. Very straightforward things. And in that email, she might give some tips, but then she'll usually link to some sort of digital product, a PDF or guide, which is probably the conversions she's looking for. But her subject line is never something like all caps, bonus available now, click here, kind of salesy. Yeah, we see those a lot. Exactly. So think about what do people want to learn? Put that right in the subject line, how to blank. 
five steps to blank. (laughs) And then someone will, will see that and think, oh, I need to know that. I want to know that this email is going to help me instead of the subject line being 20% off my digital products right now. Right. Because we all get so many of those emails as it is. And and don't get me wrong, there are definitely times where I can appreciate a good sale announcement. Mm -hmm. But that's not always going to be beneficial for the sender because like we talked about, those email box providers might say, oh, this doesn't really seem like it should go to the inbox. It's a little kind of in-your-face marketing tactic. And even though I appreciate a good shoe sale, if you go and look through your spam folder, a lot of those emails that I may have clicked on sometimes end up there. And it's just because the title is so kind of in your face. If I haven't decided I want the product yet, I don't care if it's 20% off, 90% off. I don't know about anybody else, but if I don't want it, I don't want it. But I think leading with what it can do for you, what the product can do for you is going to get people more interested, provide them more value. And then you can mention sales from that point. Maybe if they clicked the link, but then they didn't buy, the next email to them is, this product is on sale and you know that they want it or at least are interested because they clicked the link in the last email. But always lead with value and what you can do for your subscribers. So we mentioned this earlier, but the last step is just to promote positive engagement. Don't be afraid to ask your subscribers to add you to their address address book or contact list. Don't be afraid to ask for replies in a relevant, like an authentic way. That example I was just giving, the sender could say, if you try this tip, respond, let me know how it worked for you. I mean, there's so many different options. Yeah, it's really easy to, especially if you're a Gmail user and you go in and you have noticed that maybe there's a couple people that you really enjoy their content and you notice that every once in a while that that email is hard to find. There's a couple, there's like three dots on the right side of the email and you can easily add them to a whitelist or your contact list. And yeah, like Alyssa said, don't feel like that's asking too much of your subscribers. It ultimately, if they really want to receive your content, it's really helping them just access your content more easily. Like we've mentioned before, it absolutely helps your sender reputation. Yeah. And a good way to do this proactively is to include that information maybe on the thank you page after someone signs up to your list or in the very first sort of welcome email you send them or a confirmation email, you can say, hey, thanks for being on my list. While you're here, I want to make sure you get all my emails directly in your inbox. So please add me to your address book or whatever it may be. If you want to include some screenshots, that's awesome. Yeah, you could always do like a little how-to video. I mean, people love stuff like that because it helps them, makes their life a little bit easier so they don't have to figure out how to do all of it on their own. I think this is like pretty much covering everything I can think of for sender reputation. I think so. I mean, this can go pretty deep, but I feel like we've covered what you need to know, how to keep your sender reputation healthy proactively, but also if it's already taken a hit, we have outlined all of the ways that you can repair it. Exactly. And if you're a ConvertKit customer and you ever have questions, you know, you can always ask in your app in support or ask support. And then if you are a listener and you're not a ConvertKit member, feel free to go and look at our website and you can leave comments and questions and we can always try and answer those. So to summarize everything we've chatted about, Sender reputation is the most important factor right now when it comes to how to make it to the inbox of your subscribers. And that sender reputation is going to be different at each mailbox provider you're sending to. 
The mailbox providers are going to determine your sender reputation based on the way that your subscribers interact with your emails or don't interact with your emails. And your goal as a sender needs to be to help your subscribers make positive engagements with your email so that mailbox providers know they want to receive your email and that you're a good sender. We can't wait to see you all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.